Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, May 20th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. The U.S. debt ceiling talks are reportedly paused. The Pentagon says it made a $3 billion accounting error in weapons shipments to Ukraine. The G7 summit begins in Japan. A U.S. Congress report accuses the FBI of retaliating against whistleblowers. The U.S. and Taiwan reach a trade pact. Disney cancels plans to build a $1 billion facility in Florida. Lebanon receives a, quote, red notice from Interpol for its central bank governor. Nadal says he'll miss the French Open and likely retire after 2024. A 95-year-old Australian woman is tased by police. And a study finds that New York City is sinking. In our top story, the U.S. debt ceiling talks have been paused. And here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, The Washington Times, New York Times, and Wall Street Journal. After both U.S. President Joe Biden and GOP leaders expressed optimism earlier this week, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, Lead negotiator Representative Garrett Graves, Republican of Louisiana, said Friday they've decided to press pause on debt ceiling negotiations as it's, quote, just not productive. This comes as a source close to the talks had said both sides had reached an impasse on several issues, including work requirements for welfare, caps on future spending growth and budget cuts. McCarthy had been optimistic on Thursday, even saying he believed negotiators could reach a deal in principle as early as the weekend. On Friday, however, he and his deputies switched gears, claiming the White House officials were refusing to compromise on spending cuts. Republicans are pushing for a $130 billion cut in the upcoming budget, although Biden has considered expanding conditions on recipients of the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program, an idea some Democrats have said is a non-starter. He opposes other cuts on welfare programs or climate initiatives. Meanwhile, the conservative House Freedom Caucus said Thursday that negotiations should stop until the Senate passes its April debt ceiling bill that proposes raising the debt limit in exchange for deep spending cuts and capping annual spending growth at 1% over roughly a decade. While the pause is a setback in the effort to prevent defaulting on the debt, which could occur as soon as June 1st, it's not yet clear whether this was a strategic move or a lasting blow to reaching an agreement. All right, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts. Let's start our spins with the Republican narrative from Fox News. Republicans are offering a very fair debt limit deal, one that distinguishes itself from past years of falsely promising to balance the budget in 10 years. In exchange for raising the horrendously high debt by another $1.5 trillion, all the GOP is asking for is that essential reforms be implemented. Rather than making serious efforts to negotiate, Biden is dangerously flirting with recycling the Civil War-era 14th Amendment. Los Angeles Times gives us a Democratic narrative. If Biden bypassed Congress to open the debt limit through the 14th Amendment, it doesn't mean he would become a budgetary tyrant, as only Congress can pass the budget. What it would mean is that once budget talks roll around, the GOP would be free to withhold funding and push for a government shutdown. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives provided by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 95% chance that the statutory debt limit will be increased or suspended for at least 30 days in the U.S. before 2024. Got any personal finance tips, Eric? 
<laughs> yeah, freeze your credit card. Oh yeah, people like literally freeze it in a block put, of ice, right? Yeah, so that, absolutely, yeah. throw them in the freezer, put them in a block of ice. I wonder and, if anyone's ever uh, brought their block of ice to the store and tried <laughs> oh, to, you know, you, can, you, can you help me with this? That's that sounds like something you would do. Yeah, I would. I would. I might actually try that. It, at the very least, it would make for a good story. It definitely yeah. would. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now, back to the news. The Pentagon says it made a $3 billion accounting error in Ukraine weapon shipments. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Politico, and Yahoo News. The Pentagon said on Thursday that it had overestimated the value of weapons sent to Ukraine by at least $3 billion, meaning the Defense Department can ship more weapons to the country without asking Congress for additional funds. The announcement came as existing military aid allocations to Ukraine were on the verge of running dry. Biden administration officials were expected to face resistance from Congress in approving new packages, namely due to debate over the debt ceiling as well as established calls from some Republicans to slash the military aid to Ukraine over spending concerns. Pentagon officials said the error came due to officials using the cost of replacing a weapon rather than its current value, adding that the Pentagon often opted to send older weapons from existing stockpiles rather than new ones, because they could be delivered to Ukraine more quickly. Sabrina Singh, a spokesperson for the Pentagon, said the department had discovered inconsistencies during an oversight process of presidential drawdown packages. She added that in some cases, replacement cost rather than net book value was used, therefore overestimating the value of the equipment drawn down from U.S. stocks. Speaking anonymously to Reuters, another Pentagon official stated that the amount of overvalued weapons might in fact grow beyond $3 billion as the situation is examined more thoroughly. The official added that it will take some time to fully conduct the accounting checks. Reuters further reported that it had seen a memo to Pentagon accountants from March 31st that clarified how the weapon shipments to Ukraine should be valued, suggesting the Defense Department has been aware of the issue for nearly two months. It was not clear why the revelation was initially disclosed this week. Thank you, Scott, for the facts of that story. Our first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from Associated Press. This is excellent news for Ukraine's war effort. The U.S. still has plenty of capacity to ensure Ukraine has the weapons it needs to fight off Russia and launch its counteroffensive without facing the red tape of further approval from Congress. And the establishment critical narrative comes from anti-war. Despite wishing the world to think it stands in solidarity with the Ukrainian cause, the U.S. administration is expecting conflict with Russia to continue for years or even decades as Kyiv will be very unlikely to deal a mortal blow to its enemy. The U.S. has saved face internationally by encouraging the continuation of war, including by supplying Ukraine with weapons when it knows a negotiated settlement would be best for everyone. News of this accounting error will not benefit Ukraine, only spur on a deadly conflict without affecting its outcome. Our friends from Metaculus are giving us a nerd narrative for this story. It says there's a 21% chance that there will be a U.S.-Russia war before 2050. One time I was using an ATM machine and an additional $20 bill was like stuck in the rotors and came out. It was all crumpled up. So I got all the money that I was supposed to get and this like crumpled up bill. I'm sure it was probably someone else's that got stuck, but that was pretty lucky. That's like a slot machine win, man. I thought you were going to say that's like found money. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I actually won at an ATM one yeah, time. That's yeah. awesome. What are the yeah. odds? 
In our next story, the G7 summit kicks off in Hiroshima. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNBC, BBC News, Associated Press, CBS, CNN, and Al Jazeera. The annual Group of Seven, or the G7, summit began Friday in Hiroshima, Japan, as the seven leading countries, the U.S., U.K., Japan, Canada, Germany, Italy, and France, along with multiple other nations, convened to discuss global economic and political issues. G7 countries have seen a reduction in their economic dominance in recent decades, leading Japanese Prime Minister Kashida to also invite Australia, India, Brazil, South Korea, Vietnam, Indonesia, Comoros on behalf of the African Union, and the Cook Islands, representing the Pacific Islands Forum, to the gathering. The war in Ukraine is a main topic of discussion, and U.S. President Biden reaffirmed his continued support for Ukraine by committing to allow other nations to provide U.S.-made F-16 jets to Kyiv and to train Ukrainian pilots on them, a deviation from the U.S.'s previous stance that Ukrainian President Zelensky deemed a historic decision. Zelensky also made a splash by announcing his surprise trip to the summit. Zelensky initially planned to address the conference remotely, but decided to address the group in person and will arrive in Japan today. In a joint statement, G7 leaders revealed plans to starve Russia of technology from the G7 and provide Ukraine with assistance. While the conflict between Ukraine and Russia dominated many of the conversations, G7 leaders are also focused on developing an approach for dealing with China. While each country has a different relationship with the world's second largest economy, G7 ministers jointly urged China to abstain from threats and using force in Taiwan. The summit is taking place in the Japanese city devastated by the atomic bomb in 1945, and protesters gathered waving signs saying, quote, no nuclear war, and, quote, no imperialist G7 summit. Demonstrations are common at the G7, which held its first meeting in 1975. All right, we have a pro-establishment narrative from the Associated Press. The G7 summit offers an extremely important opportunity for leaders from some of the world's most powerful democracies to come together and discuss major issues. In addition to the usual economic forces, leaders from other rising countries are attending this year's event as threats from Russia and China mount. In the face of political and economic uncertainty, it is of the utmost importance that democracies worldwide unite to keep the world safe. The establishment critical narrative comes from Press TV. Global elites cannot help themselves as they continue instigating Russia and China while thousands continue to die in the 15-month war in Ukraine. While G7 leaders may pretend that they are promoting peace, their actions show that they are committed to unrestrained militarism. One would think holding the summit in Hiroshima would serve as a reminder of the devastation that nuclear war can bring. But the warmongers of the G7 and the military-industrial complexes they uphold are unfazed. Speaking of nuclear war, I'm really eager to watch this new movie coming out called Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. I'm looking it forward is, to it, too. That's going to be uh, really something. Yeah, I'm looking forward it, to it. July 21st is the release date for that movie. That's a must-watch. That's a go-to-the-theater for me. That's like a real, that's a real thing. Oh, yep. me too. The U.S. Congress reports that the FBI revoked whistleblower clearances. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by the New York Post, the Washington Post, Fox News, the New York Times, Breitbart, and CNN. The GOP-led House Judiciary Committee and Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government on Thursday released an interim report stating that the FBI has been targeting conservative agents and retaliating against whistleblowers. This comes as Marcus Allen and Steve Friend, who were both billed as whistleblowers by the committee, 
testified Thursday that they were retaliated against for critically thinking about the investigation into the events of January 6, 2021. The suspended staff operations specialist Allen and the former special agent Friend had their security clearances revoked this month after denouncing the politicized rot within the Bureau after being summoned to attend the subcommittee. Ahead of the hearing, the FBI claimed in a letter to congressional investigators that these revocations stem from their support of views about the incident that cast doubt over their allegiance to the U.S. The subcommittee contended, however, that Allen had shared material with co-workers after being ordered to conduct an all-source analysis, while Friend was ordered to take absent-without-leave status when an arrest warrant for a January 6th subject was to be executed. While Republicans have accused the FBI and the U.S. Department of Justice of having become increasingly weaponized in recent years, Democrats question the legitimacy and credibility of the whistleblowers. Scott, thank you for the rundown of those facts. A Republican narrative kicks off our first set of spins, and it's coming from Red State. As if politicizing federal institutions were not enough, the Biden administration has now engaged in retaliating whistleblowers who dare to speak out against abuse and misconduct. Americans across the political spectrum must be worried about such governmental overreach, which oppressively silences those who challenge the official narrative to get to the truth and uphold the law. This undermines America's foundational system of justice. And we have a Democratic narrative from MSNBC. Republicans have touted the so-called FBI whistleblowers as they are crucial assets of their partisan campaign to tackle the alleged federal government's weaponization concealing the fact that some of them have received financial support from a top Trump ally. Given that the Bureau has already explained that they were suspended for alleged misconduct, this report is promoting conspiracy theories and shows that the GOP is, in fact, the party weaponizing government. Has it always been this way? People questioning authority and, and the institutions being under constant fire? Is this, is this how it always has been or is it just feels like it's extra bad now? I don't know. I think it's extra bad now. I mean, people are so uptight about everything. It, I think in the old days, people respected the authorities a bit more. However, I also think the authorities maybe respected the people a little bit more too. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. There's right. no mutual trust anymore. In our next story, the U.S. and Taiwan reach a trade pact. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Reuters, Associated Press, Wall Street Journal, and Bloomberg. On Thursday, the U.S. and Taiwan agreed to the first stage of a bilateral trade initiative, which was unveiled last June, marking their first official trade deal during the Biden administration in a move that draws them closer amid mounting pressure from mainland China. The initial agreement of the initiative on 21st century trade covers customs and border procedures, regulatory practices, and small businesses. Negotiations on remaining more complicated areas, including agriculture, labor and environmental standards, and digital trade are still in progress. While this trade deal doesn't require approval from Congress, there's broad bipartisan support in Washington for the self-ruling island that Beijing considers a renegade province, long demanding its reunification with the mainland. A spokesman for China's embassy in the U.S. on Thursday accused Washington of substantially elevating its official interactions with the Democratic island, as Beijing has long expressed opposition to any U.S.-Taiwan intergovernmental relations. This pact was announced hours after the Chinese embassy in Washington declared that Minister of Commerce Wang Wintao will meet U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo and U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai next week. This is Taiwan's first official trade agreement since it was excluded from the 14-member Indo-Pacific Economic Framework launched by Biden last year. 
Meanwhile, its application to join the now 12-member Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP, is under consideration. Thanks for those facts, Eric. We have an anti-China narrative from ABC News. The signing of the trade agreement between the U.S. and Taiwan signals Washington's strong support for the island's democracy, which is an important and strategic trading partner with the U.S. Beijing will surely complain about this announcement, but its words will fall on deaf ears in Washington as negotiations continue with Taiwan. Global Times brings us a pro-China narrative. Under the pretext of trade collaboration, Taiwan is colluding with foreign adversaries, with Washington's deepening ties with Taipei, jeopardizing peace and stability in the region. The Chinese government has numerous times warned the U.S. not to encourage the island to try to make its de facto independence permanent, a step that would lead to war. It's time that the U.S. fully respects China's core interests. We've got another nerd narrative. The Metaculous community predicts that there's a 6% chance that there will be an armed conflict between Taiwan and the People's Republic of China before the year 2024. Disney cancels the building of a $1 billion Florida facility. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by CNN, BBC News, The Guardian, Newsweek, Independent, and Business Insider. Amid its current battle with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Disney has decided to scrap plans to build a $1 billion office complex within the state. Disney revealed the news via an internal email on Thursday, in which the company cited changing business conditions, with considerable changes to the environment they found themselves in when the plan was announced. 2,000 people were to be employed at the facility, with many relocating from California to the proposed campus 18 miles east of Walt Disney World. Josh DeMauro, head of Disney's Parks, wrote that the move was not an easy decision, yet the right one. Disney and DeSantis have remained at odds with one another since the company's president criticized the governor's Parental Rights and Education Act, dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill by critics. The feud escalated when a DeSantis-appointed board voted to strip Disney of its autonomy over its Florida park, and the company responded with a federal lawsuit against what it describes as a targeted attack by the state's government for expressing a political viewpoint. When questioned over the matter, DeSantis's office stated that the decision by Disney was unsurprising, given the company's financial straits, falling market cap, and declining stock price. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. The Miami Herald gives us our first spin. It's a democratic narrative. The decision is a defensive move by Disney, and it's clear that $1 billion is now the price for DeSantis's continued over-the-top war on so-called wokeness. Disney isn't perfect. But in standing up for its ability to speak its mind on state politics, it has dealt a clear economic and psychological blow to DeSantis, as well as his 2024 aspirations. We have a Republican narrative from American Greatness. Disney has been badly losing its battle with DeSantis, and it will continue to do so. Not only does the corporation not have any moral ground to stand on, but it also lacks any legal argument to justify its defiance of state law. Disney is shamefully committed to indoctrinating children with inappropriate content. Its behavior should not be rewarded with undeserved corporate welfare. CNN gives us narrative C for this story. While Disney finds itself in the middle of a culture war with DeSantis, this should be the least of its worries. The company is currently embroiled in turmoil concerning plunging cable and streaming subscriptions and box office review, all while laying off waves of employees. While DeSantis has added another battle for the company, there are currently more pressing issues at hand. 
And another nerd narrative from Attaculus. This one states there's a 24% chance that Ron DeSantis will be president of the United States by the year 2029. In our next story, Lebanon receives a red notice from Interpol for its central bank governor. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Arabia, Al Jazeera, Associated Press, and ABC News. Interpol issued a red notice for Lebanon's central bank governor Riyad Salameh on Wednesday, which the country's interior ministry received the following day and forwarded to the judiciary. Salameh is accused of embezzling hundreds of millions of public funds, which he denies. Lebanese Interior Minister Bassam Malawi said he will abide by whatever the judiciary recommends while calling for Salome to resign. Lebanon's Deputy Prime Minister echoed the same sentiment, and the country's senior leaders will discuss the issue at a consultative cabinet meeting on Monday. This notice comes shortly after France issued an arrest warrant for Salome as part of its investigation into embezzlement. Red notices are sent to law enforcement agencies, seeking the location and arrest of fugitives around the world. France, Germany, and Luxembourg have been investigating Salome, his central bank associates, and other Lebanese financial institutions for laundering $330 million. The governor was slated to appear in France on Tuesday for questioning, but he didn't show up. Salome is appealing the Interpol notice, saying that he didn't receive the summons for in-person questioning in Paris. He says he won't resign unless he's convicted of a crime, and claims that he generated his wealth through his former job as an investment banker. Salome has held his position as central bank governor for 30 years and has been partly blamed for igniting the economic crisis that's plagued Lebanon since 2019. While he has come under fire, some experts believe the judiciary won't extradite Salome since he's a member of Lebanon's political elite. Thanks for that rundown, Eric. We have Narrative A from Radio Free International. Raid Salome is one of Lebanon's most sinister actors and holds a massive amount of responsibility for Lebanon's financial crisis. Touted as a financial wizard and steward of Lebanon's economy, Salome betrayed his duty by orchestrating a Ponzi scheme to enrich himself and his inner circle. The evidence against Salome is overwhelming. There are too many shady deals and too much money missing for it to be a coincidence. Salome is a corrupt criminal and he must be held accountable. Narrative B is being provided by ThisIsBeirut.com. Political adversaries in Lebanon and Europe are targeting Riyad Salame, trying to sow discord in Lebanon's financial markets and create rampant speculation that will yield easy profits. Salame has complied with judiciaries in Lebanon and abroad and continues to maintain his innocence. And the French warrant against him violates the provisions of a previous Lebanese-French agreement. He has provided extensive documentation and will appeal the illegitimate French warrant. You never hear about Interpol, which I believe is the international police, operating in the United States. I wonder if they don't have jurisdiction here or something. That's a good point. You never hear about red notices here either, except for yeah, that one they yeah, issued for I, you last week. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm going to appeal that. That's an, <laughs> that's an illegitimate French warrant. So I, we're gonna, I wonder. We're gonna, yeah. 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 I get yeah. Uh, we're going to take that to court. Good. Tennis star Nadal to miss the French Open. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Reuters, USA Today, BBC News, Al Jazeera, and Forbes. Tennis star Rafael Nadal announced Thursday that a hip injury would keep him from competing in the 2023 French Open later this month, and he expects the 2024 tennis season to be his last. Nadal, the defending French Open champion, has won the title a record 14 times at Roland Garros. This will be the first time he has missed the event since 2004. Although Nadal, a holder of 22 major titles, started practicing in recent weeks, 
he was unable to get in the requisite tennis shape after not playing since he sustained a hip injury at the Australian Open in January. His lengthy injury absence has also led the Spaniard, who holds a career record of 112 wins to three losses at the French Open, to drop out of the top 10 of the world's rankings for the first time in 18 years. He hasn't set a date for his 2023 return. Nadal told reporters he hopes to be 100% ready for next year, but he didn't make the decision to skip the French Open. His body did. Those were the facts, and our first spin is Narrative A, coming from Deadspin. Considering the litany of injuries Nadal has fought through during his prestigious career, everyone knew, eventually, his body would succumb and need something close to a permanent break. His unmatched determination carried him to this point, and he can't be counted out. But it won't be a surprise if he's never seen competing on a pro tennis court again. And Narrative B comes from Yahoo. It's Nadal's career of overcoming physical impediments to achieve amazing results that should make everyone believe this isn't the end of the road for the King of Clay. Someone so skilled, determined, and indefatigable should never be counted out, and it won't be a surprise if he not only comes back to the tour, but if he also wins titles and maybe even another French Open. Disturbing news coming from Australia as a 95-year-old woman was tased by police. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, BBC News, Al Jazeera, and CBS. The police department in the Australian state of New South Wales is facing criticism after an officer used a taser on 95-year-old Claire Noland, who is now in the hospital in critical condition and is not expected to survive. Noland, a resident at a care home in Cooma, suffers from dementia and was carrying a steak knife in the early morning hours on Wednesday. After staff and officers were unable to de-escalate the situation, Nolan was tased after approaching the officers, causing her to fall and suffer a serious brain bleed. The officer who fired the taser is on leave pending an internal investigation. NSW Police Assistant Commissioner Peter Cotter said Nolan was moving toward the officers at a slow pace and was using a walker, but he wouldn't comment on the potential of excessive force being used. Cotter said the police force is, quote, mature and transparent enough to handle an investigation and do what has to be done if it becomes a criminal matter. Body cam footage from the incident will not be released while the investigation is pending. The Snowy Minoro Regional Council has declined to comment on the Yallanby Lodge incident, saying they are assisting staff, residents, and families during this difficult time. Narrative A on this disappointing story comes from the Sydney Morning Herald. Noland is a beloved, active member of her community well into her advanced age and didn't let her dementia slow her down. How a 95-year-old using a walker posed a threat to officers, we'll never know. And full accountability and transparency by the police are needed to help the community heal and ensure lessons are learned. The Guardian gives us Narrative B. This case proves that police can no longer be the first-line option for those suffering from mental health crises. Government inquiries have found that those suffering from mental illness are too often criminalized, even nonviolent incidents, and this very sad encounter falls into that tragic category. Let's hope this incident spurs action on a new and more humane path for dealing with mental health crises. Our final story, New York City is sinking due to skyscraper weight. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, New York Post, Popular Mechanics, and Fox 5 New York. According to a report published in the journal Earth's Future, 
New York City is sinking approximately 1 to 2 millimeters each year on average, with some parts sinking twice as fast due to the weight of its high-rise buildings. The gradual descent of the city being pushed by New York's more than 1 million buildings weighing nearly 1.7 trillion pounds makes the city extremely vulnerable to natural disasters, according to lead researcher and geologist Tom Parsons of the United States Geological Survey. The report says that New York is emblematic of growing coastal cities all over the world that are observed to be subsiding, adding that the combination of a dropping city and a rising sea increases future flood risks. Manhattan currently lies between 1 and 2 meters above sea level, which, though even if it sinks a small amount each year, could result in devastation as climate change brings about storms like 2012's Hurricane Sandy and 2021's Hurricane Ida, which overwhelmed drainage systems. New York's buildings are built upon solid bedrock, such as schist, but also upon a mixture of other sands and clays that have been built on top of, adding to a sinking effect that is naturally occurring anyway along much of the U.S. East Coast. Parsons said that repeated exposure to seawater can corrode steel and destabilize buildings. New York's subsidence issues are a problem found throughout the globe, with major cities projected to grow disproportionately compared to rural regions in the coming decades, the weight of the world will soon be concentrated in even more concentrated locations. Scott, thank you for the facts of that interesting story. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from ABC7 New York. New York City has dealt with the effects of climate change and its subsequent natural disasters for years. And it's well past time the government takes the steps necessary to prevent further damage from storms like Hurricane Ida. The most important step would be to stop developing flood-prone areas in the first place, and after that, creating green spaces and replacing old, narrow drain pipes in already developed areas will help absorb rainfall and pass it out into the ocean. Narrative B comes from UN News. Immensely populated cities are one of the primary causes of climate change, but they can also be the solution, as the hubs of immigration, economic prosperity, and technological innovation, megacities have the opportunity to tap into the largest financial and talent pools in the world and engineer energy-efficient and walkable living spaces for everyone to enjoy. Climate change should be taken seriously, but it should be looked at through an optimistic lens regarding the potential for an urban future with smart design solutions. The Times-Herald gives us Narrative C. New York City is not the prosperous land of opportunity it once was, climate change aside. Its overly populated landscape is dirty and unlivable, and the fantasy of a vertical living paradise is quickly proving unrealistic. As more than a third of New York's population of 9 million is now foreign-born, it's time to invest in those currently residing in the city and implement immigration policies to spread future immigrants to other parts of the country with lots of space. The Big Apple is a symbol of unwieldy urbanization. And finally, a nerd narrative from Metaculus. It says there's a 48% chance that New York City will experience a hurricane by 2030. Eric, this reminds me of the library at the university I went. I went to Syracuse University and our library, Bird Library, they built it. They figured out all the engineering on it and they didn't calculate the weight of the books. And so it's sinking into the ground. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Bird Library at Syracuse is that, like every year it sinks an inch or two. Yeah. it's. Oh uh, my gosh. That's, that is interesting. And the other weird thing, the roof, the roof is flat on it. So in theory, one day it'll just sink just be a flat piece of uh, cement on the ground. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, May 20th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more details on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.